welcome to the Sideways Life. Actually, it's not the Sideways Life, it's a Sideways Life podcast. <laughs> That's a good start, isn't it? <laughs> this is episode 36, and it's part two of talking about money and how you make money when you're working or living abroad. But I'm not here on my own, am I? Well, I'm here. Yes, hello, Leanne. Hi. <laughs> How's your week been? Busy. Is it mm. only, I don't even, it's not even halfway through here, is it? Oh, I think we're recording this on Tuesday afternoon. It's fine. It's busy. It's good. It's good. It's productive. It's busy. It's fine. It's fine. fine. I'm fine. Uh, I'm fine. She says that she's twitching. <laughs> anyway, so one of the down, one of the downsides or the upsides of making money abroad is that you make money. One of the downsides is that you can get quite busy, which is where Leanne is at the moment. I think, and we're going to talk a little bit in this episode about uh, working as a remote worker, working as some as an expat. And that's a difference. And then I'm going to talk a little bit about my journey. I use that word journey. <laughs> but I'm going to talk about the way that I did it, which is um, owning your own business. So you're going to get everything here. If you haven't listened to part one, go back. What are you doing? Go back and listen to Will Button. You what? rebel. <laughs> Skipping ahead. Uh, Will is really cool. Um, and he's, uh, he talks a lot about how he started the same thing. He started some ventures and he's also worked remotely and he's also worked in an office as well for a yachting magazine. Um, so it's a really, really cool um, interview. So before we get to David McNeil's interview, mm -hmm. shall we talk a little, little bit about how you make money whilst you live and work abroad? Import-export. <laughs> we always tell people that. They go, how do you make money? And we just go, import-export. We just uh, move certain things across borders. We move goods around. <laughs> Don't really want to go into it. No, it's not your business, frankly. <laughs> So, but when you're not dealing drugs, yes, Pablo, um, <laughs> what is it you do? So I want to make it clear if there is anyone I work with listening, I, I'm not a drug dealer. Mm -hmm. We're just joking. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, sorry, what was the question? <laughs> <laughs> the question is, uh, what's the current climbing in uh, Colombia for uh, import-export? <laughs> Challenging. COVID has really made things much more logistically difficult. But demand is higher, I'm guessing. Demand is higher, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's at this point we'd probably normally just bail and say, let's we start again. But I think we should push through with this one. Why not? Leanne, how do you make money? Um, well, right now, <laughs> I make money as a freelance business psychologist mm -hmm. and consultant. Mm -hmm. um, but that's fairly new-ish, maybe 18 months now or so, officially. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, in terms of when I started, I started as a remote worker for a fixed company in the UK. So at the time, I was managing a welfare-to-work contract. My manager was very progressive. And when I told him that we were moving to Spain, um, he basically said, well, how much of your job can you do abroad? Um, so I ended up working abroad remotely and then traveling back to the UK one week a month. And I did that for two years. And what sort of year was this? This was 2013 to 2015. So this is quite early. I mean, obviously, I asked the question for our listeners, not for me. I remember mm. that. <laughs> I was there. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, this is quite early. I mean, we're talking about now, if you went back to the office and said, oh, I'm going to go and work from Honolulu rather than work. Yeah, I think even now there might be a bit of a, mm. and you see remote jobs advertised and they'll still say, but you must be based in the UK. Mm. Why? I, I, I don't know. No. But, but yeah, no, my, my manager was incredibly, incredibly progressive. Um, 
And I actually only finished that job because the contract I was working on, the funding ended. Um, and then my manager had a conversation with me, you know, if you take redundancy, you can start a portfolio career, blah, 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 blah. And that was always the intention. And then I, I got lucky. The first remote job freelancing contract that I applied for, I got. Um, it was a writing role and executive branding. Um, so basically resumes, LinkedIn profiles, for like top 10% of clever people in the world who run big businesses. And I did that for... Mm, well, a good while, just that role itself, probably about 18 months. Then I started to get a bit more involved in reviewing the training and recruitment practices because that's kind of my background as a business psychologist. Um, and then I just got more and more involved. So then I spent about 18 months, maybe a little under, um, actually in a full-time role with them, uh, doing mainly training, recruitment, engagement of the writer team so the role that I used to do I then managed the team that did that um and then for various reasons COVID included um that changed and that's when I really started to take my more my my portfolio of consulting work more seriously I had continued to do things on the side um, with the NHS primarily in employee engagement um but it was really the start of the pandemic that I was like right okay let's let's do this. Um, and that's what I do now. I'm a freelance consultant. So we talked last week about the three ways in which you can make money, which is uh, to work remotely, um, to work as a freelancer or own your own business, um, and also to work for a company in, a, in where you're living. So if you want to live in Portugal, then you work for a Portuguese company in an office in Portugal. Um, like a, we call that sort of as an expat employee. And of those three, you've done the two, which is a freelancer and then a remote worker. Yes, but I've also been a, a remote worker for a fixed company and a remote worker for a 100% remote company. Um, the company that I started with in 2015 after um, that couple of years traveling back to the UK... Um, was completely remote my team are in the states in vietnam in spain in the uk um in sydney um and and my employer didn't give a fuck where i was frankly she preferred it when i was in southeast asia because then i was in a time zone between people in the uk and people in australia um so i think there's so many different ways of doing it but um but yeah that was my experience so if you want to live and work abroad, then there's one, usually it's one of those three routes you go down. The first and the most easiest is probably just to speak to your existing boss um, or whoever you work for at the moment, if you do work for someone, and just ask them, look, you know, how he, could, I, could I try working remotely? Don't necessarily say I'm going to go and live in Thailand and, um, and work, but just say, look, you know, I want to work from home. This is such an easy conversation now after the pandemic. We're in 2021. Um, 2013, that was not an easy conversation to have. Um, but um, but now, yeah, just say, look, I want to work from home for a bit. Or if you have been working from home continuously, then just just maybe just go and live in France for a bit. I mean, to be fair. <laughs> we have to be a bit careful because there's, there's lots of um, there's lots of travel restrictions at the moment. However, you know, maybe go and live in Scotland if you live in London. Maybe go and live in Scotland for a few months. Maybe go and rent a place in Wales for a few months over Christmas. And just, as you say, see if anyone notices. <laughs> or if you want to be a bit more strategic about it, I guess put together a proposal for it. Mm -hmm. You know, how it's going to work, what it will mean you being on a different time zone, if you can still commit to, to office hours. Um, I've heard of people on other 
podcasts and, and digital nomad forums actually work essentially night shifts because they're, you know, the employee that they work for remotely is on a completely different time zone, but they love that. So there may be a way to make it work. There may be advantages to it if you work for an international company that has clients all over the world. Um, so I think it's, it's figuring out if you're going to go to your employer with that proposal, figuring out how it'll work, what it will look like. And also have a think about expenses and what you might save. When I actually worked remotely for the UK company, as I was a national manager at the time, and my expenses went down hugely because instead of getting a train to Cornwall or, you know, I was getting a flight from, from Malaga, which July and August aside, you know, you can get, for, you know, sometimes as low as like £15, whereas a train to London from Manchester is, yeah, exactly. So you can actually be surprisingly more cost-effective for companies occasionally. So do, do a little, do some numbers. So we're going to go and speak to David now, and you're going to find that David has done two of those three things, which is one, uh, start his own business, which came last, and then two, um, he was he actually wasn't a remote worker. He worked for a company in the city in which he lived. It's a great story, um, and uh, yeah, really, really happy to have him on the podcast. So let's go meet David. So here we are with David McNeil. Now, David's such an interesting guy. Um, not only is he the founder of Expat Empire, which is a company that, or a consultancy that helps people to become expats, but he's also got his own podcast, the Expat Empire Podcast, where he interviews expats from around the world. What a great idea. <laughs> We've got a very similar <laughs> idea. Um, so definitely, to start off with, go and subscribe to David's uh, podcast because you're definitely going to love that. Today, we're talking to David a little bit about how you make money when you uh, when you work abroad, when you start new ventures abroad, or as an expat. Uh, so we'll get onto that in a second. But in the in the meantime, welcome, David. Thanks for joining us. Yes, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Brilliant. So, David, can you just give us a little bit of a sort of maybe 30, 45-second potted history of how you got to uh, be in Porto right now? Sure. Uh, I hope that it will be that short. It might be a little bit longer, just as a forewarning. But uh, I'm originally from the United States, born and raised there, uh, say, mostly from California, but I got an interest in Japanese language and culture at the age of 12. So I started quite young and that was kind of my driving force to try to get abroad and figure out you know, how I could make that happen. Japan being the ultimate goal. But uh, actually I studied abroad first in Singapore when I was in university for a semester. And then when I was working uh, in my career initially in the United States because I couldn't find that opportunity in Japan, I did also a three month uh, work deployment in Beijing, China. Coming back from that, I uh, got laid off from that company, the first of many layoffs in my career uh, in the tech sector. And I used that as basically an opportunity to travel around Europe and interview for jobs in Japan and China. And by the time I got back, uh, I had my final interview for a job in Japan that I got a few weeks later, got the offer and headed to Tokyo, Japan for two years starting in 2014. So finally achieved that goal of being in Japan. Um, they're also looking into job opportunities I wanted to keep my career going in product management for tech companies. Couldn't find that next opportunity. So I thought, cool, Berlin, Germany is the place to go. I heard that's uh, where there's a lot of English speaking jobs. I love the city when I visited uh, on that European trip. So I went there, uh, got a job there in 2016, and I lived in Berlin for three years. And then sort of taking kind of stock of things there, also got met, met and married my wife there. We thought about what was next for us, and we really fell in love with Portugal. We visited in 2018. It took another year to make it happen for us to move out here, but we moved here in November 2019, and have just come up on two years. Cool. And is your wife German? 
Well, that's the funny part. She's Japanese, but she has a love for Germany in the way that I had a love for Japan. So we, uh, but now, of course, we're in sort of the the middle ground of a country that we're both not from. So we kind of we we like to keep the adventure going. Let's say. Very cool. I noticed also you've written. Um, a, is it a book? A passport to working in Japan. Yeah, that was basically the first part of me sort of starting this expat empire business that I'm doing now. Essentially, it was when I was you know, interested in studying Japanese and trying to live in Japan, I was looking for that mentor that I could find to uh, help me make it happen and guide me along the way. I never found that person. Uh, I had to learn a lot of the hard lessons myself. And so after I lived in Japan for those two years, moved to Germany and was starting to think about trying to be a bit more entrepreneurial, that was my first sort of project was to put my learnings of all those years of studying Japanese and finally making it to Japan. And of course, leaving and for the reasons that I did that at the time um, into this book. And so, yeah, that's Passport to Working in Japan. Uh, and yeah, it's been really well received. So it's been a fun experience to put that out there into the world. Brilliant. We'll put a link to that in the show notes if you uh, anyone's thinking of going to Japan. Um, Thank you. So I want to get straight into this money. So tell me, <laughs> how did you, <laughs> you've done a lot of things. So tell me what, Currently now, how do you make mm -hmm. money whilst you live in Portugal? And then maybe go back, delve back into how it all started and the other ways you've made money whilst you travel. Yeah, so it has changed a bit over the years indeed. And I started Expat Empire, which is my you know, main business, my main venture right now uh, in 2018. And again, with, this, with the launch of that book as well the, as the website, and then soon added the podcast and meetups and uh, blog posts and all that good stuff. But mainly the way that we make money through that is through our personalized consulting services. So if people are thinking about moving abroad, traveling, you know, becoming a digital nomad, or to move and get a local job or to retire abroad or build a business in another country, these are all the kind of you know, people that we work with to help them figure out their next steps. And we have, offer a number of different services, you know, coaching, helping them figure out their next destination, uh, visa research, uh, the steps they need to take to move abroad and a big checklist and all that kind of good stuff. Of course, helping them find local jobs and transition to remote work as well, if that's what they want to do. So that's what I'm doing right now. But to go back to the very beginning of it. So I did go to university in the United States and I couldn't find that job abroad that I wanted at the time. And I, in addition to studying Japanese, I studied finance. So my first job was in investment banking. I quickly found out that was not what I wanted to do, but I still stayed in it for another two years. Um, but then when I moved to San Francisco through the bank, I found a job in software product management first there at a company doing mobile and web games. And so that was my first, uh, sort of job in product management. And I kept doing that as a way to, you know, continue my career, but also to be able to find these opportunities abroad as well. So I did that up until, uh, the last year or so where I, I got a job here in Portugal uh, got laid off from that in the middle of the pandemic, as many of us did, and then use that opportunity to then focus full time into Expat Empire. So I guess that's trying to be the short of the long story. That's great. It's great. So tell me, did you, um, when you actually first started working abroad, was it for the same company that you were, have I understood this, you started working in the US for a pro, as a product manager, and then you moved abroad. Was it the same company? Actually, no. So I think one thing that's unique about my story, at least as I've heard of you know others along the way, is that I got a new job in each of the countries that I moved to. So first in Japan, then I worked three jobs while I was in Berlin. But again, that was a new company that uh, got me to move there initially. And then again, I found a new job coming into Portugal. So each time it was kind of picking that place that I wanted to go to. 
you know, I'm not going to say it was a, it was an easy route. Of course, there were lots of ups and downs and I tried many different countries and things like that. So it wasn't always a straight shot by any means, but I did find that local job in each of those countries that of course sponsored my visa and gave me the opportunity to, to get set up here, build a life and now, you know, working towards uh, entrepreneurship as well. So that was, I think that's my second part of that question was, you said talk about the sponsorship. So you got the job before you moved to the country. Is that right? Right. So I did those uh, interviews in Japan and China while I was in Europe and then came back to the US and finished up that one for my job in Japan. So I got that, got the visa in the United States and went to Japan. And then for Berlin. So um, my plan initially was to quit the job in Japan because I could see that it was coming to an end anyway, or I'd have to move back to the US for the company. Um, and so I wanted to stay abroad and I couldn't find the next job in Japan. So what I did was I reached out and tapped into my network that uh, could connect me with people in Berlin. Of course, I started applying directly as well. But lo and behold, the first person that I was put in touch with and the first application that I did for a job in Berlin was the one that I got. And so my original plan was to indeed to quit the company go over there, uh, interview and network for four weeks in Berlin, and hopefully have something when I came back and could make the full move. But it turned into uh, from a round trip into a one way because I got that offer before even the trip happened. And then with Portugal as well, uh, I found that opportunity, you know, coming out of Berlin, just interviewing for jobs in all different countries across Europe. And that was the one that thankfully worked out because that's where we really wanted to be anyway. Um, but yeah, I got that job before moving to Portugal. Brilliant. So let's, if we can just, if you can just put yourself in the, in the mindset of a listener who's sitting in their home country now, they're not happy. They want to go and live somewhere else. I mean, this is your bread and butter, what you do now. So we're going to get a bit free consulting maybe. Um, sure. But what would you say, how, what, where would you say they should start? I mean, it's quite a big thing moving to a different country, a different language, different, you've got to find a home, a job, all that kind of thing. How do you right. normally ask, tell people how to start? I think uh, I, I hate to always answer these questions with it depends, but there is an element of it depends, and I'll try to get into the details of that. So I think it really depends on what skill sets that you have and, of course, what you want to be doing. I mean, what I mean by that is, for example, I had already done some product management, and so for me, that was what I wanted to continue my career in. I always could have gone and taught English in a place like Japan. I mean, there's so many people that do that. It's a great route, uh, absolutely you know, great route, well-trod path, and um People should investigate that if they want to. But I didn't have that drive to become uh, a teacher. That was not my passion. And so I was always looking for a way to get to Japan, for example, and the other countries eventually through, uh, through sort of my quote unquote career, which at the time indeed was in product management. So, you know, some people already have, you know, development skills or they already have a career in marketing or sales. Um, you know, you name it, maybe they already have a career that they can take abroad. And so if they have that, and of course, if they want to continue it, I would strongly recommend that they find a way to be able to do that, perhaps an English speaking company, usually tech companies, maybe it's a foreign one, maybe it's a local company, but because it's so international, uh, you know, everyone sort of as a common language speaks English, for example. So see if you can find the opportunity to do what you want there. Or even if you don't have those skill sets, maybe you could do something like customer support in English or you know, there's a lot of different options. But uh, but on the other hand, like I said, another great route is just, just to go to try to teach English through uh, local schools or, you know, governmental programs. There's tons of opportunities there. And, um, you know, you could even get started with something like a study visa, studying the language for a few months or going on a tourist visa and trying it like as I was trying to do initially in Berlin, try to make those connections and 
see what opportunities that you might get along the way. Um, you know, you'll have to see if uh, you'll have to go back to your home country to get the long stay visa and so forth. It really depends country to country. But those are just a couple of ideas. And um, I think what I'd like to say is that you should lean into your strengths. But at the same time, if you're not sure what your strengths are, there's plenty of ways to make it happen or at least to get your foot in the door. And you can always kind of, quote unquote, figure it out down the path once you get uh, your, yourself set up and hopefully making a little bit of money, at least in that country, if that's where you want to stay. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think something you said there is really, really important. We always talk about people who want to do the sort of control alt delete of their life and say, right, I just want to move somewhere else. I want to get a new job, fresh start. And it's like, it's going to be difficult enough going to a different country and then establish right. yourself there and then trying to find some work as well. So I think this is such Absolutely. good advice. Mm. Yeah, I agree. It's, I think it's hard to do all of that at once, which even in my case where I built that career in product management, but I was also trying to get more into doing my own entrepreneurial endeavors. I thought about trying to move, for example, to Portugal directly and work on the business full time. But it just seemed like such a, yeah, indeed a big jump to be able to, you know, navigate the immigration, all, you know, finding a new house, uh, all the insurances and this, that, and the other, making friends alongside building a business and just throwing myself into the deep end. I thought maybe doing one of those at a time would be best. And so it was, uh, I think, a better route for me to get set up in the first year with the job and, and the apartment and everything. And then now to move into that next part of the journey, which is the entrepreneurial part. I love it. I love it. There's a lot in common with you and our previous guest in part one of this, Will, in that you seem to approach life quite strategically and hmm. you plan things out. Is that is that the secret to, to your success <laughs> so far? I think so. I mean, I, I probably would be considered maybe an over planner, over analyzer, but that is how I approach things. Of course, everyone has their own strategies. And I know a number of people will just grab their backpack and go on, you know, a worldwide adventure. And I think that's an amazing, adventurous, courageous spirit to have. So absolutely full props there. But um, yeah, I definitely look at the pros and cons. I think when I go and visit a place, I think about, do I actually want to live here? Or am I just enjoying it as a tourist? I kind of always have that going on in the back of my mind so that I'm constantly kind of refining that list of the next locations. Not that I'm looking now, I love it here in Portugal, but at least up to this point. And of course that helped us to uh, narrow down in Portugal eventually anyway. Um, but yeah, I definitely have looked at it as a way to, again, to, to go abroad, but also to continue the career that I wanted to do. And I think if I did it any other way, I probably wouldn't have been able to make both of those things happen. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. So I'm going to ask you in a second about the, the downsides of being an expat um, and earning sure. money as an expat. Uh, but before that, I'm curious, you've gone from Berlin, uh, Tokyo to Porto. In terms of cost of living, have you seen a massive reduction in, in terms of Porto, maybe compared to Berlin? Yes. Uh, yes, I would say so. Um, some things are still, well, uh, particularly rent, but I guess that's the case across all of Europe at this point and, and many of the main cities of the world, no doubt. Um, but the rent is still, it, it's still higher than it should be relative to the fact that Portugal has the lowest minimum wage in Europe, I believe at this point, mm -hmm. or in the EU. So to that extent, I mean, it's, it's quite expensive on local salaries, I would say. Of course, you know, if you're coming in from abroad, one of the good things about that is potentially if you're in a place like San Francisco, New York, or LA, or somewhere, if you're in the United States, for example, and you're in one of those cities, you're probably making a pretty good wage, hopefully, if you're, you know, in some ways to, into your career. And so to be able to leverage what you're currently making in those countries and try to use that as a negotiating tactic in 
getting a better offer in somewhere like Berlin or Porto uh, can hopefully, you know, take you a little bit of the way there. You're definitely going <laughs> to take a pay cut, no doubt. Um, but but thing otherwise, life here is uh, definitely cheaper. I'm, you know, the, the cafe down the corner or on every corner, of course, here, uh, you can get a, a coffee for 60 cents, a pastel de nata for 80 cents, um, you know, or up to a euro. You, you, you've got, yeah. 50 cent or one euro beers, uh, the local varieties. So yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's a cheap lifestyle for sure. And I'd say, um, definitely you can see the increases in the cost in a place like Berlin over the last years. And I was lucky to have kind of an older rental contract there from the previous tenant. But even at the time I moved in, people were like, oh, it's a bit pricey for a one bedroom. And then I heard, you know, a year later, people finding a place for 400 euros more. So, you know, it's just gone up so fast there definitely happening here in Portugal as well as it's, it's a big destination now. But, um, you know, uh, if you were to compare it to any prices in the UK or the United States, you'd probably find it quite favorable. I think that's a, that's a key thing, I think, is that if you're earning in US or uh, Great British Pounds or whatever it is, and, it, and you're living in a different country, then you can, you, you tend to have a better, a better yeah. standard of living. I know, for example, prices in London, Manchester, where we're from, you know, the prices, what, what we have a three bedroom villa in a with a garden and hot tub and all that and that's the same price it would be like a one or two bedroom apartment in the city center in manchester and it's and manchester rains a lot more than croatia so yeah <laughs> anyway going back into my, my my question about the downsides now we're all about being honest and we're always very honest about all the downsides of living abroad this kind of lifestyle what do you see as the downsides of in terms of earning money when you're an expat or a nomad yeah, so because I've done that in these different cities and, and countries like we talked about, and I've been working for local jobs there in each of those countries, I I mean, I'll I'll openly admit that when I went from my career in, in banking and working in tech in San Francisco to Tokyo and then Berlin and then Porto, I had to take a pay cut each time. You know, that's just part of it. And also, as I've, I've talked about each of the different jobs that I've had in some respect or how many of the jobs I've had, a number of those, I, uh, I think I had six jobs in seven years and I had three of those that I quit and three of those that I got laid off. And so that's also, of course, part of being in this kind of tech startup culture or scene, uh, however you want to call it. And that's a, you know, while there, are, for example, in Berlin, I always thought there are a lot of jobs there. Uh, especially at these startups and so on, but it's like high quantity, but perhaps low quality. <laughs> so you you kind of have to deal with that, and it doesn't mean you're going to find the best job in your home country either. Um, and I'm thankful for having this opportunity. So of course, don't don't get me wrong, but that is a downside. I thought uh, of that experience is that you might, and, and of course, it's always evolving and improving, hopefully, and changing. Um, and you go to these places for different reasons than staying in San Francisco. If I was just focused on the money, it would have been easy for me to stay exactly where I was and still be there probably further along, quote unquote, in my career, as far as the hierarchy and, and, you know, moving up the ladder. Um, so I think, I think, you know, that's been the main thing that I've seen is just, you have to know what you're going for. Like, what is the point of doing this? And, and it's great to try to try to think about how you can mix travel or living abroad with your work. But the reality is you still have to do work, whether you're on the road, <laughs> whether you're in an Airbnb or a hostel or whether you're living in another country. Um, you know, I don't know if everyone will have to go back to the office going forward. Obviously, things are in flux in this situation, but I was still 
going to the office every day, you know, until the pandemic hit. So it's, it's not like um, I was suddenly free. I, I still had most of my kind of most creative, productive hours still in the office. And so I think if you're going because you're just only focused on the weekends or the nights or things like that, that you can enjoy being around uh, in a different country. That's what I started with as well. But I eventually realized, at least for me, that the career was also extremely important. And so I tried to keep that going, but at the same time, dealing with some of these layoffs and uh, frustrations in, in the work uh, environment, which of course, I feel kind of driven to entrepreneurial pursuits from those uh, difficult times and the need to continue to, of course, sponsor my visa. So that's a whole different thing as well. It's interesting you say about uh, entrepreneurial pursuits, because that's going to be exactly my next question. Um, I think there's a lot of people who who think they want to change, like we said before, total reset. And we've always talked about changing our five to nine, not our nine to five. And if you mm. keep your nine to five right, but then at five o'clock you can step out and it's still beautifully sunny and you're going to have a, like a coffee, as you say, for a year yeah. down the street. <laughs> you know, it's just a different five to nine. And I think that's um, right. that's such a big right. difference when you cl- shut your laptop and you're in paradise, you know. It's just Absolutely. <laughs> so as my last question, I, um, I want to talk a bit more about expat, uh, expat empires. How have you found the transition from employee or salaried employee to entrepreneur? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, certainly with not, not without its ups and downs, but I would say that in the end, if I were like had a takeaway from it, it's, it's been so much better and so much more fulfilling and satisfying for me than to work for somebody else. Uh, in my last job here in Portugal, for example, I was frustrated by the number of meetings that we were having and how we just go around in a circle and everyone, it just, it felt like meetings would go on forever just for the sake of everyone giving their two cents and no one really knowing when to stop it. Um, you know, big corporate presentations and this and that and, uh, working across all these teams, whereas now I'm, you know, hiring the freelancers that I work with. I, I set the direction. If I want a page to go live on the website, I, put it together in a couple hours and there it is in the site as opposed to three weeks of, you know, back and forth and checking here and there and getting the designer involved. And then the CEO has a whole different idea. So, I mean, of course I'm coming at it from a product management point of view, which is what I was doing, but I just think, uh, I think it's, it's really been much more fulfilling for me. And I felt that even as a side project, there were times where I put expat empire down on the back burner and I just didn't have time for it. And I always just thought if I come back to this, then it's going to show how much, you know, if, if it's really meaningful to me and something that I want to do long term. So, uh, you know, the the process of it, the logistics were also very complicated. So I, um, you know, I had to, to figure out the sort of unemployment system here after getting laid off at my job here in Portugal, then figuring out how to open the business here, um, which also I was fortunate enough to be able to apply for a small business loan. But what I thought would take a f- couple weeks took six months. You know, uh, the bureaucracy is real. Uh, you know, that's the thing that they definitely talk about in Southern Europe and, of course, in Portugal and other countries around here. So um, I've I've definitely had to, to dive in the deep end on some of these things. But, of course, you come back from that with a lot more knowledge and experience. And not only is it great to see it going well, but also, you know, if there's other opportunities down the road, then I'll be better prepared, prepared for them as well. So... Um, yeah, it's been a great ride so far and we'll see where it takes me. Brilliant. I know so you've got a, um, a 10 tips for moving abroad ebook. Um, so I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Um, also what's the website if someone wants to learn more about your consultancy or coaching services? Yeah, definitely just check out expatempire.com. You can, you can get that ebook as you just mentioned there as well. And also reach out if you're interested in scheduling a quick call 
where we can talk through your plans for moving abroad or just traveling or going abroad, whatever you want to call it. it doesn't have to be a permanent move. Uh, could be nomadic as well. And I'd love just to you know give some thoughts and advice from my side and hear your story and what you're dreaming about and see if there's a good way for us to potentially work together in the future. But I'd love just uh, yeah to hear from you at uh, expedempire.com. Brilliant. Well, I'll put all the links in the show notes. Uh, David, thank you so much for your time. This has been such a great interview. Um, really, really enjoyed everything you said. And I'm, I'm pretty sure that uh, when we, we're coming to Portugal next year, so uh, we'll definitely get great. together and have a, have a beer or something. Yes, let's definitely do that. Thanks so much. That was a great interview. Yeah. Yeah, he's a cool guy, isn't he? Yeah, really cool. So we've we've overrun a little bit here. So what what was your, what quickly? What's your favourite part of that interview? Do you think? I think what I liked about it is that how David was saying that he likes to plan, um, and I think as well it can it can often seem looking in that there, it is just a bit kind of like impulsive and mm. there's not much thought behind it. Um, and I, and what he said as well about, you know, he does know people that will just pick up their rucksack and go on a worldwide, worldwide trip. And that is cool. People who have the balls to do mm-hmm. that is incredible. We didn't, let's be honest. We took a bit of a risk moving initially to Spain, but it actually turned out to be a very risk-free, risk-light decision to make. And when we started traveling full-time, that was when we'd already established our income and what our work mm-hmm. looked like working remotely. Um, so I think I like that. If you're looking in and, and or looking, especially things like Instagram and just seeing these people that it's fine, plan it, think it through. What are your options? What's the worst case scenario? Um, and I really like that about what David said about living and working abroad. Yeah, I think I think I, I like that bit. I also really like the bit where he talked about not doing everything at once. Um, there's a temptation to we call it etcher sketching. You know, when you're doing an etcher sketch, if if you're old enough or from <laughs> yeah, if, a country if you're where. under thirty, you'll probably have no idea what he's talking about. <laughs> or a control alt D. There you go. Tr- control alt delete. Um, so people just say, "Oh, fuck it, I'm right. I'm going to go and quit my job and go and live in." I keep saying Honolulu. I don't know why that's come. I must have dreamt about it. Um, But, um, and that's such a difficult thing to do because you have to start a new life with new friends and you have to start a new job or start a new business. This is a difficult way to do it. So the way David did it was by going to a different country, finding a job there first, working for the man, putting your time in, paying his dues. And then at that point when he was settled and he knew the country, um, then he started off and on his own with a new venture. So I think that's really, really important that you don't try and overload yourself because it's difficult enough starting a business, let alone if you don't speak the local language, you don't know where to go, where the supermarket is, you don't have any friends, um, and you're you know, a thousand miles away from your family or 4,000 if you're living in Honolulu. Absolutely. Everyone, everyone's started a new job before. You know how stressful that can be or when you're job hunting, how stressful that can be. Or if you move away, don't do all, all of those things at once. Yeah. That's a lot. Don't and do that. good for you if you've got the resilience to deal with that, but that is a lot. That is. Yeah, no, we don't have that. So we did promise a little bit to talk a little bit about what I did if anyone's in not if anyone's interested. If one's not interested. <laughs> <laughs> narrator. Nobody was interested. <laughs> Wish I could do a Morgan Freeman voice. I do that narration yeah. thing all the time. <laughs> I a little small part of my brain went, have a go, Al. And I'm like, no. <laughs> No, no, no. Whatever I say is going to sound probably very racist. So. Quite possibly. <laughs> um, so what uh, what Leanne did was freelancer and remote worker. Uh, what I've done is freelancer and also I own a business. 
Um, I started a business back in 2007 um, where we bought properties, uh, which we still have now, and my business partner and I talked about it. And when I left, um, he was very, um, very supportive. And basically, I now do all the things to do with the properties that I can do remotely. And he does all the stuff like tenant check-ins and the stuff which obviously I couldn't fly back and do. So if you do own a business with a partner, or even if you don't have a partner, think about what you actually have to do. There's a very famous sweet company, confectionery company, that does old-fashioned sweets on eBay. Mm-hmm. And the guy who owns that lives in Andalusia. But yeah. the business is based, and the warehouse is based, I think Warrington, I can't remember, don't quote me on that. Um, as if anyone would. <laughs> 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 but Al said, your business is in Warrington. Um, yeah, and so people will go in there, and they'll order like, old-fashioned sweets and wham bars and all that kind of stuff. Um, but he lives in, in, in Spain, because he realised, I don't have to be here, I just need to have like two or three people who are going to pack the sweets and send them off. And I think that'll be true of, of a lot of businesses now, actually having gone through the pandemic, that would have realised actually how much, particularly if you're you're leading the business or managing mm. the business, how much of your role is actually done remotely and how much relies on on people on the ground supporting you. Absolutely. I mean, if you're a dog groomer, then of course, yes, that's going to be a bit more difficult. You, well, you just pick all that business and move. There's dogs everywhere in the world, isn't there? But then you've got the same problem as we talked about before with the interview where you're starting a new business, no clients in a new, di- in a new world true but at least you've already established that same business before that's true it's not from a scratch thing is it a scratch thing it's not a scratch thing and on that bombshell (laughs) so sorry it's been a really long day (laughs) right should we call it a day yeah hey just before we go tell us what uh, tell us what's going on next Ooh, next episode Mm -hmm. are we going to tell them now or are we just going to say something really exciting is happening really really soon just said that. Well, there we go. Bye for now. Bye. Al, I noticed on that interview, you're going to have to be careful how quickly you say expat. Why? Because when you say it really quickly, it sounds like something else. Like twat. <laughs>